Hey everybody, it's Richard Harris and Scott Lees here with another fun and exciting episode of the Surfing Sales Podcast. Uh, quick, want to give a shout out to our sponsors of Salesforce, SalesCloud, Vidyard, Reggie.ai, and Outreach.io. We truly, truly appreciate what they do for the sales community as a whole, not just their services and their technology, but sharing great content and best advice and best in practices. So if you are looking to grow your revenue, close some in the end of this year, and of course, grow in 2022, uh, please check out our sponsors. We appreciate it. Without uh, any further ado, I want to introduce our friend Bob Perkins from the American Association of Inside Sales Professionals, AAISP. And uh, we're super glad to hear you. So good to see you. Great to be here. Thanks. Uh, glad you reached out and we connected a little bit. So thanks. Yeah. So, Bob, when did, like, not, some people know, but I think a lot of people don't know. What even, what and when did you decide to create the AAISP? Like, where was its origin story? Uh, just to give us some context. Yeah. Th thanks for the question. Um, most of my career before the AISP was leading inside sales teams. And um, <clears throat> my first inside sales job called telesales with Unisys about two years in, I just knew I, I kind of had a calling. I fell in love with it. And um, I was always the underdog. I was 150 pound right guard in high school football, a big high school team. So I knew what it was like to be the under the small weakling in the group. Um, and I, I, I set out to prove that inside sales was could sell. I mean, come on, sales is sales, right? You don't, ha you don't have to be there in person. So along that journey from tells uh, Unisys to SGI and a, few, a couple other companies, I realized that I wanted more. Uh, Miller Hyman, a lot of these big sales training firms were out there, but there wasn't, I tried to get some, something for specific for this, this growing inside sales thing, which was tough back then we had the phone, maybe some email, that's it. You didn't have, you didn't have video, social texting, none of that. Uh, interestingly, back in 1993, we actually had a hybrid model. Uh, my tele sales reps traveled to meet customers once a quarter. It's pretty cool. But uh, I realized we needed good training. We needed resources. And I sort of got together with a few peers and we benchmarked and had these little round tables. And back then I said, ah, yes, we need, we need something. We got to stand something up that is committed to advancing uh, inside sales to the next level. And the, the thought of an association came, came to my mind. And it was all about bringing mostly leaders together to, to just share ideas. That was the foundation of to learn from each other. And um, a lot of them were, were dialing me up anyway, saying, Hey, do you, you know, do you have someone that can lead this team? I'm looking to hire. Hey, what, what are you doing for compensation? So the, the motion was already kind of underway. And it's funny when, when we, when I, when I had this, this, dream, if you will. I told my wife about it for two years. And finally she goes, you, you just got to shut up. I mean, I'm tired of hearing this. Just go start the damn thing. And so that's kind of, that, that, that's the origins of it really. Sounds like, sounds like our origin of surfing sales, Scott. And I'm like, just go do it. Well, yeah, except for the part where it took Bob two years. <laughs> 
to to actually take action. <laughs> I didn't take that. We did it pretty quick, actually. I thought so. We did it super quick. That's what I'm saying. I'm yeah, giving yeah. Bob grief and, well, and what, what God bless his to... wife who pushed him off the edge, and, <laughs> and he, finally, he finally went for it. It, it was it was a circumstance, you know. I was commuting full time Monday through Friday every week to Salt Lake City from Minneapolis to run a, a large team out of VP of Inside Sales at mm. uh, in Gen X, and then I someone wanted me to start a brand new team in St. Paul, and I'm like, heck, I'm going to stop traveling. This is the time because that was a, an easy job to do. I just called all my friends and gave them offers and they came and they started the team. They didn't need me to manage them. It's kind of like Steve Stricker, just get out of their way. <laughs> they did. Now, can I, I want to ask a question about the, yeah. the, the growth of the, the community um, and, and micro communities, including ours and, and others that I'm involved with have all kind of bubbled up, I'd say, and become all the rage, if you will, in the last uh, two years. Mm. How do you think about the strategy for community growth when you're just kind of getting started? And then the second part of that question is, how do you know when to flip the switch and, and try to monetize? Well, we um, that's a really good question. I haven't, haven't really thought too much about that. Um, I, and I guess the answer is a little bit, it depends on what your goal is. But oftentimes you start out with a, a very well-intentioned goal and it turned into something in my case, and maybe some people can draw a parallel to this. In my case, I, I was driven to do it because I, there was a need to do it. The very first conference we did the first year, I thought this is going to be fun to do on the side. We'll be able to, you know, maybe yeah. I brought a business partner in Larry Reeves and I said, maybe this thing can afford to pay him full time. He wasn't working. Maybe we'll make enough money that I'll keep imagine, a, imagined more as a side hustle kind of thing. And yeah. Then, in the beginning. Sure. Yeah, I did. But, but then after a year, when, when year two happened, I, you know, it was kind of the goosebump year and I go, man, uh, we got something right. And we're, we're going to keep feeding it and we're going to add employees and all that. What can I ask? What, what was that trigger? Yeah. Trigger to? I'll tell you, I remember the moment. Um, the first conference we had about 50, 60 people year two, we went from 50 some to over 200. And I opened up the conference and I held up an old headset. You remember the old headsets we used to wear they were oh yeah I, I remember selling before we even had headsets yes you know the wire not not the, not the comfy kind that looks cool but the only the thing that you know the wire and that wire it, it plugged in and i uh, held it up and i said we, we we have we have surpassed this it's not this tele thing anymore and i painted the vision it was about a 15 minute and somebody got up and said I just want to tell you that from the bottom of my heart, we thank you what you started. The whole place stood up spontaneously and did like one of these standing ovation things. And, and I don't, I don't, I'm not saying that to say, Oh, this is something great. I started, but I, it just, it was sort of like this fulfillment of, I knew it. I knew 
I knew there was a need for this thing and I knew people were hungry for it. And it was such a fulfilling moment. And, and how and when did you decide to flip towards monetization? I, I, I'm, I'm asking because I think that that is, is at least in the current climate, like a difficult thing to kind of gauge. And I, and I talk to a lot of people with communities now, communities who have, you know, a few thousand people in them. Um, and they're, they haven't tried to monetize yet and they're scared to try to monetize yet. How do, how do you, how do you think through that? And how do you advise some of those folks? Once again, um, once again, we weren't, we did not chase the money. The money came to us. And I think if, 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 if the opportunity, and, and I'll give you an example, when we started this thing, I'm thinking, okay, well, we got to charge money to people to attend so we can pay the hotel bill. All right. You got to do it. That's how you monetize in the beginning, get your costs covered. If you have a little leftover, uh, we advised an attorney and a, an accountant said, Hey, should we go nonprofit or profit? They go, well, be a lot easier to fire this thing up as a for-profit LLC. We go great. So we did that. We didn't chase the money, but, um, I never even thought of a sponsorship when I started this thing. I didn't never thought of a chapter when I started this thing. I just thought of bringing people together and making it work and covering our cost. And all of a sudden some sponsors started coming in. And when that happens, you, 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 the pieces of the puzzle fall in place. And now we go, Hey, you know, we got something here that we can grow. We can monetize and people will pay based on, what they get out of it, attendees and sponsors. And then, you know, some other revenue streams started. Do you know our cost for membership the first year was higher than it is today? Not the sponsorships, though. They, they, every year they go up. So, so, you know, we, we kind of met the need and then we took advantage of uh, revenue opportunities. Uh, all while keeping a litmus uh, piece of litmus paper handy that said, just keep one thing true. And that is, does it help the, does it help the people that need the help? Right. That, that was kind of the, the stay true to the course piece. We have not been perfect at that. We've made mistakes with that. And we, we continue to fumble that a little bit, but if that's your guiding principle and light, it'll, it'll help you be true to your mission and deliver as best you can deliver. What do you, what are you seeing differently this year in the community or the last, you know, 18 months than previous? Cause you've been, you know, your community has been around you know, OG, right? One of the originals, right? Yeah. OG, one of the original communities. Yeah. So what, what do you feel is, um, is different now than then? Well, there's, there's certainly more opportunity, not just to begin with. Uh, there's communities like uh, for women in sales, a number of them, which are providing great value, I think. Uh, there's some around um, enablement. You know, you have the SES. I, can't, I remember talking to them years ago. I said, guys, you got this huge opportunity and, and how, how are you paying for things? Because there's ways you can monetize it. I remember talking to them about it and saying, there's a lot of sponsors out there that if nothing else can help you 
improve your conference, um, you know, what you do and, and what you put forth to the members. So there's, there's more of them. There's more specific kind of communities. I think that I see um, there's, this reminds me a little bit of, I don't know if you guys followed the Ryder cup. I'm a big golf nut and I watched the whole thing over the weekend and it's kind of this new guard and, and numerous times they were saying young rookies, you know, fresh, um, they, you know, this is not your old way of leading. Even, even Stricker, the coach, uh, basically said, I, I let them be them. Right. Right. So I think you're seeing a little bit of that in some of these communities as well. Um, new ideas, um, some young people leading the helm. What do you, what do you see um, as you do events, right? And sponsors, you know, what are you seeing as the value that they want both short-term and long-term, right? Like, what do you think it is that they're doing and how do you, you know, without giving away all your secret sauce, of course, you know, how does AAISP make sure that you have those long-term sponsors? Do you do single event? Do you try to do them for the whole year? Do you try to do like, how do you just, you know, giving advice to these to these folks? Yeah. And I have these conversations with sponsors. Um, and my, my playbook for the best of the best sponsors and, and I have a person in mind, I just talked to him an hour ago on the phone who did this extremely well. When they sponsored, they provided complete thought leadership and ways to improve. And they brought such tremendous value on from their past learning on how to perform as a, a leader, an SDR, an AE, that they developed a natural belonging and following in the community uh, sponsors that come in they want the list and they want it quickly and they want a lot of visits at the booth and this and that are being very short-sighted. So we find that the sponsors that flourish the best are the ones that are in it for the longer haul that they become a bit known as a, as much as a thought leader as they do as a solution provider. Right. This one person that I, you know, I'm not going to mention his name, but people might put two and two together. I think it was, I think it was leadership summit four or three or four. We had a huge turnout in Dallas. He takes his cell phone out, calls a person he's never spoken to holds the mic the microphone up to the cell phone. There's a ton of 500 people. The guy answers. And, and I know who he called. And I'll tell you this, that he didn't know the guy, the guy didn't know him. And the guy answered and he got through a cold call on, on main stage unrehearsed. And man, if, if that does, if that didn't, it could have gone both ways, I guess, but it right. went well, you know, um, you know, I, I even heard uh, one of our sponsors, Connect and Sell, um, one of their guys came and, and fired up Connect and Sell at an executive retreat and ding, 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 up oh, this, hello, un, unrehearsed. And, um, you know, it, it takes a lot of courage to do that. But then again, it's someone that's kind of putting their money where their mouth is a little bit. And, I, and you got to like that. 
You really yeah, do. I like, I like the, it's, it's like, it's almost better than a live demo, right? I mean, it is a live demo, right? Like, yeah. hey, we're going to show you how we do this and here we go, right? And I could see a lot of, I could see that being a very different booth approach or engagement approach as a sponsor that they should do, right? Like that, that's, yeah, that's an interesting, interesting play. And think a little bit about it this way. And here's, here's something I'll, I'll layer onto your sponsor question. And that is, it's, you know, more and more this, this whole, what works in sales, it kind of just kind of keeps going full circle. And we, you know, when tech got really big and these great tools and they are great tools and there is a place for cadences, right. And all that, but we thought we could, we could win with quantity and, and we're finding out pretty obviously that as my phone just gave me another scam call when we were talking that quantity uh, is, you know, can't outpace quality. And so I, I would, I would give that same, and I do give that same message to sponsors that, you know, become transparent, become helpful, uh, serve before you sell, become part of the community, be a, be a real thought leader. And you're, you're going to gain, uh, it's like the folks that come to the retreats and just become friends with people. Those are the people that are getting lots of referrals, even if somebody at the retreat doesn't need what they have. And usually they don't, but they become such a, a important piece of this whole world that they're going to get, they're going to earn business because they're trusted. And they're thinking, and they're thinking long-term, as you said, as opposed to short-term quick buck, that kind of thing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. What do you what do you think about podcasts? Do you think they're helping now that everybody has one? Are there too many of them? Are we are we all screaming well, shit? You know, I did the Monday morning sales minute until Cameron told me that I need I, I can stop doing it. <laughs> I'd love doing it. You you've been both of you've been on some Monday morning sales minutes. Yeah, I mean, and- I used to it's interesting because I used to do your training Tuesdays once a month. Yeah, many years ago. So yeah, um, and and you know. We're, we're working with a gentleman that spoke at one of our retreats. He's, he's doing a nice little consulting work with us around, around uh, kind of re reimagining a little bit what membership means and all that. And he's helping with some of the finer parts of marketing. He thinks we should fire up another podcast and, you know, great. I'm, I'm here. I can do it or Ashley can. Um, but all that said, there's a lot out there. Boy, there's a lot out there. So what? So what? What do you? How do you think about standing out or being different or unique because there is so much out there in terms of podcasts and and the chatter and the noise and all that? Part of it has to do with hats, right? I mean, like I like your hat, you know. Thank you. It's just, and for, people, and I, for people who are not watching, I am yeah. wearing an Arizona State Sun Devils hat just to piss Richard off. <laughs> I almost brought my Arizona hat. That's the funniest thing. <laughs> Listen, not, not to piss you off, but I should have. I, I, I kind of a little bit, there's a little seriousness to that. There's a, there's a guy, um, uh, uh, Morgan Ingram. Okay. He always had that little, is it a little fedora kind of yeah, thing? That, but, and I said, I said, you know, this guy is pretty early in his career and he's a smart guy. I get it. I said, but I think, I think that hat helps is, 
his uh, attractiveness and his stickiness with the audience. I really do. And there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, it's, you know, this is a little bit of Hollywood, even if you don't want it to be, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah. So I get it. And, you know, it's interesting. I didn't find it, but usually I have a big hat that says surf on it. And Scott has his one that says pray for surf. So whenever we go to things, we often wear those. I used to have my titles hat on when I did my podcast from the RV traveling around, but yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, that stuff does matter. I completely agree. The branding piece that's, we were just talking to Chris Beal and he was talking about brand, not quite that level, but more on your personal brand and how you figure sure. it out, which, um, which is what I know how you lead AAISP. What are you, what are you seeing around um, managing remote? And the reason I ask is because you've been remote. AAISP has been remote for years, long before. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, you're like me, where I was like, I did one year of outside sales. And I was like, this is ridiculous. This is, you know, and <laughs> it was, thing. and it was like, Same but thing. we were seen as sort of the weird ones. We were the weirdos, you know, at least in my generation, my, my spaces. But what are you seeing about the remote piece now? Because everybody's an inside sales rep. Yeah, well, we, we've done whew, probably three different little surveys we fire up and get it out to our top companies. And so we got a good litmus test on what's happening. And the vast majority are not going back full time, only like 7%. Huge, huge hybrid thing going to going to take place. So we know that. But I had this question the other day, and there were three people on, uh, it was a, some sort of webinar. I said, this is, this is a yes or no answer. You can't give me anything other than pick one. You think remote is more productive working from home most of the time, or do you think going to an office is more productive? And there were three guests. So you guys tell me which, which way, which way do you think it went out of three people who voted for what working from home, remotely more productive, working from the office, more productive. Wait, what were the roles of the three people? Uh, okay. They were all in, all in a leadership role. Uh, I'd have to look it up. One was from a very huge enterprise company heading up SDR. Uh, the other two were uh, leaders, and I don't know if it's SDR or AE, but it would be an inside sales kind of leader role. I'm gonna I'm gonna guess that those three people said in office is more productive. Okay. I'm gonna guess that the enterprise leader said remote was more productive and the other two because they're smaller thought they um needed to be um in the office thank you richard you're the winner two of the smaller companies remote the enterprise said the office i'm kind of glad she i'm glad she did because i want i was hoping we'd have a little bit of but by the way i i i disagree vehemently with the people who think that they have to be in the office to be more productive Oh, I think you go to the office to build culture now. Nah, you know, I don't, I don't buy that anymore. I think that, I don't think we're going back to the office days. Who wants to go do that? Find find me, find me a sales rep who wants to, to, who wants to go do that. They will. Hey, you know what? We're asking that quite, we got another survey, a more in-depth one going out. I think, I think it's with BC. No, it's our own survey, but we asked the question, 
um, we, where would you prefer to be to all the sales reps that, that are going to take it? So we'll, we'll find, we'll have an answer on that. And I, I kind of agree with you who does, you might have one or two or three, four or 5% maybe, but you know, back in the day, it's like, how are you going to learn? How are you going to learn by osmosis? How can you fire up a campaign? How can you rah, rah, go, you know, ring the bell, but, um, you don't need yeah. that anymore. No, no. Well, it is interesting because I agree though. It has taught us that our training needs to get better because you can't learn through osmosis. You know, the whole, if I think about it, the, Hey, learning through osmosis was really a sales manager's way of being lazy because they didn't know how to articulate yeah. what needed to be learned. MVWA uh, managed by right. walking around. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I've not heard that one. Scott, Scott forced that one. He used to text us and say, get off your CPU, go walk around the floor. So stop sitting there trying to be the VP of spreadsheets. Get right. go walk, around, go walk around the floor and coach somebody. Damn it! Yeah, yeah. Um, I was a VP of inside sales, and and they wanted me to take. Listen, this is a true story. They wanted me to take a class in pivot tables. Okay. Yeah. 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 I I, I remember getting that same spiel, Bob. I remember specifically a CEO telling me. I think it'd be really good for your career if, if you went and uh, took like a Excel master class somewhere. I'm like, what? No, that has nothing to do with my my job whatsoever. Yeah. No. Yeah. How do you how do you see? Because you see it. You know, I keep asking these questions about how do you see it because you have this purview into organizations that I think a lot of people don't. You know, it's it's been the rise of rev ops, right? First, it was the rise of sales ops. Then now it's sort of morphed into the RevOps piece. RevOps, yeah. What are what are people still getting wrong about those pieces? Do you think? Uh, look, the, this. Uh, I don't want to discredit anything here, but the the flavor of the month, right, has been around a lot longer, and I've been alive. We've all been alive, right? So, even back. I remember my first five years in this thing, I had, I had this, this metrics chart and I was measuring ridiculous, stupid stuff. And I brought it to my senior vice president. Well, yeah, we do this number of calls. We, here's how much connect time. And, you know, the manager to rep, rep ratio. And if we do how many quotes, we get a sale and all this stuff. I was, you know, I was guilty of, creating the next focus area of what we want to be. Even when I sit here and say quality over quantity and personalization is king, I, I feel a little, little bit vulnerable there because will it always be that way? Right. So, I mean, the challenger sale, the, I mean, you can name a million of these different things that, um, that have come and, you know, have slowly sort of faded into obscurity a little bit. And um, I, I, I wonder about that with, with some of these things. Uh, does it mean is sales? What are, the, what are the things that you can plant a flag in and say, okay, this will always be one of the 10 commandments of sales? Yeah. Uh, let's start with people. Just start with people. Um, Do you think, can I challenge you on that though? Yeah. Okay. Imagine a world 50 years from now where AI has become 
so intelligent that it can uh, interpret and understand emotions and empathy. You see what I'm saying? Like, can an inside salesperson be ripped and replaced 50 to 100 years from now by some sort of AI that replaces like the people factor? The answer is maybe, but I'm going to rechallenge. I'm going to rechallenge you on that yeah. to say that, that, that you, this dialogue that or, or th these comments you just made were the same comments that people made about the computer back in the 1980s, replacing jobs. That's right? fair. That's fair. I wasn't around for those conversations. <laughs> Richard, Richard and you were around for those conversations. So you, yeah. you have an advantage. Yeah. Yeah. But, 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 but the same kind of concept and the answer yeah. is more jobs were created. A whole industry was created. So I, you know, um, I love not talking to anybody when I buy some expensive stuff. I mean, I bought a, uh, a $5,000 guitar to add to my collection and had to, um, I didn't talk to anybody. I texted, went online. When I go to Amazon, spend all the money. I love not. And so I, I'm a, I'm the person that doesn't need to meet someone. That's also because you're an expert at that. Like, I think where the salesperson comes in is when someone doesn't know, or there's questions, right? If yeah. there's, and I, and I, yeah. I agree with you, Scott, that there are certain things where, like, that's what Amazon is. I don't need to ask the question, right? In fact, you know, when, again, Scott's not old enough, um, but, you know, when, when even before Amazon, when people were purchasing in the early 2000s online, like, I remember the first year people could do Christmas shopping. We were very comfortable buying a stuffed animal online. Yeah. We were not, as humans, comfortable buying a $1,000 television. People needed for that price, they needed to see it. And now, whether the TV's become more commoditized, which I don't know that it has, yeah. we just have more knowledge. So we're much more, people are buying cars now without test driving them, right? There's Carvana and all those places. So I think it has to do with the knowledge you have around what you're purchasing. And then based on the lack of knowledge, that's where the salesperson comes in, Scott. And so to your point of like, you know, like why you like Qualia so much, right? It was so disruptive for that industry. You know, any industry that's a paper-related industry, they're going to need salespeople for a while. Lost you. Bob, one of Bob's rocks is people. People. But what else would be in this, like, Ten Commandments thing that you would say is never going to go out of style? Um, you know, I, I think, uh, I think the, the person's in the center of that. But the offshoots from that are real, really good communication, right? Now that that can mean we need, and you know, Richard and I, we we did this on an episode recently. I think we talked about real, really good, effective listening, really good yeah. listening, and good. Remember that that webinar yeah. uh, questioning, and even written communication, verbal communication, video communication. That's really important. And um, we see, I'm sure you more than me, Richard, or both of you, you see evidence of weaknesses there, probably more than I even see. Um, but we do have weaknesses there. I'm not sure the why behind it. So there's the, there's the skill piece, the softer skill piece, the, um, 
the business maturity, career maturity piece, I think comes into play. But again, it's, it's kind of layered around the person. And the other piece is, is we've all had bad experiences with bosses, right? I'm sure most people have. And I've had a few. Richard has for sure, because I was his boss at one point. So that's guaranteed. I'm so sorry to hear that. A bad experience. But I think, I I think the lead tomorrow's lead, the leaders of the future, they've always have, they've always had a lot of responsibility to bear, but they, we, we have a tremendous responsibility to bear and we have to do, we have to do right by the, the people we're leading. And, and I had felt coming up through corporate America, having getting beat the hell beat out of it at QBRs. Even when I was managing inside sales, we had to go, go to QBRs. And I was trying to figure out how to win, how to win, how to present the team better, how to make the number look better. And I realized that beating and managing with a, with a strong fist and micromanaging was so detrimental, just detrimental to the person and even to the goals and to the mission. And so I, I kind of took it as a little bit of a, my own project is to try to find a way I can affect that change so that, that the leaders are, uh, you know, servant leaders, um, doesn't mean they're not strong and can't, you know, push people hard and have high expectations, but their own, their own ego is checked at the door. They now become stewards of the people that they're responsible to lead. And that's a big responsibility. It's like a parent, really. You know, you have to model behavior. You have to be selfless. You have to, you know, have the, your, your kid's best interest above your own. Is that, is that something that as you continue to go on in your career, you every now and then think to yourself, I don't want to be in charge of anybody anymore. I want to go back to the beginning where I don't lead people. I just lead myself. I don't want that responsibility. Does it ever, does it ever get heavy to carry all that? No, it's just, it's just like a calling for you. It's a calling. I've always wanted, I've always wanted to, I'm going to use this term and it's going to sound really weird, but I, I always wanted to be in charge of other people. I mean, it was very fulfilling for me. Um, but, but those that I have uh, been responsible for, I think will tell you that, you know, Bob is gives hundred percent of his heart is very open and, and things like that. Um, I've made a lot of mistakes along the way and I have a lot, I still have a lot of, a lot of areas I wish I was better at. So, right. so if leadership is, if leadership is a calling, yeah. what is a leader supposed to do if they find themselves kind of burning out or getting tired of that? Is, is, is that, yeah. What are they supposed to do? If you're starting to think to yourself, like, Oh, this is getting to be a bit much. Cause I can, cause I think, I, I could hear that potentially and interpret it and be like, oh, fuck, maybe I'm not a leader. Like, I don't have this calling that Bob has if I'm having these doubts and questions. Like, maybe I want to, you know, do something for myself for a little bit. 
does that mean I'm a bad leader? And I could see that potentially being like a, a spiral that somebody goes down in terms of that line of thinking. You know, burnout is, is real. I've experienced it a few times in my career. Um, I was in a caustic environment and um, I intentionally left it and it was like, I was able to breathe again. Uh, that's right around the time when I started the AISP. And so not knowing that I was leaving to do that, knowing I just needed to leave and, uh, people leave bad leaders. We know that all the time. And so, you know, sometimes people need to need to change the, the entire environment. And, um, and if it's not that maybe they need to, you know, they need to do something different for a while or, but it doesn't mean you're, doesn't mean you're a bad leader if you're burnt out, but it might mean that there's a different path you need to take maybe. How did you, how did you handle your burnout? Right. I've been there. I don't even, Scott, I don't even know if you know the story. I came home once when I was working for you and it wasn't because of you. Well, maybe it was actually. Thanks for the clarifier. So, um, it was the grind we were in. Like, I don't, it wasn't you, right? We know where it came from, but I literally just came into, to, you know, our bedroom and I just, I sat on the floor and I just put my arms, you know, on my mm -hmm. knees and just mm -hmm. looked like this. And I looked at Kathy and said, I don't know if I can do this anymore. Yeah. And it was, um, and it was interesting. I mean, I had a strong support mechanism there with my wife. Yeah. But, um, it wasn't leaving leadership. I was just no. leaving, wanting to leave the org. So yeah. how did you know to differentiate those two for you? It's not easy. It's not easy because I'm the type of person that takes a hard look in the mirror and say, okay, maybe I really do need to learn the pivot tables. Okay. True story. Maybe, maybe it's me. Uh, is it me? Um, but the one thing I knew is I, I wasn't enjoying it. And I'm a, I'm a pretty big believer that if you enjoy it, you're going to be successful. And if you're successful, you're going to enjoy it kind of thing. Uh, not that it has to make you giddy happy. I don't mean that, but it, it has to fulfill the, it has to fulfill the desires of your heart. When you think about it in your mind, when you think about it, it should, that's the ideal situation. But to your question was, I got to the point where, I, I knew this situation was not, it just wasn't a fit for me because I had been in better situations and I knew what happiness was and I knew what a good fit was. So I had to, I had to leave it. I had to change my environment to, 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 you know, to drive for my passion, what I'd love to do. Scott, how about you? Where have you burned out? Good question. Um, I have burned out when I feel like I have hit the ceiling in places and, and I've hit upon this kind of three pronged uh, framework a week or two ago and I've, and I've been latching onto it. I've talked about being learned, earned and burned and learned means have I kind of learned all I need to learn in this particular role? Yes. You can always learn something new, but am I sort of like maxed out, if you will? Yeah. Can I do this job in my sleep? Right. If the answer is yes, 
I've kind of learned all there is to learn there. Yeah. The earned piece is, have I maxed out my earning potential here? This is a big deal for, for me. So if I've blown through comp plans and I'm sort of at the top and, you know, everybody will tell you there's no ceiling on commissions. It's uncapped. Yeah. Fuck off. Like you're not going to do 600% to quota <laughs> all the time. So there's an invisible kind of cap there. Right. So have I earned everything that I can earn in this particular role? Mm. That's two. So if I've hit those two things and the third piece is burned, meaning I've been burned by the company, the boss to Bob's point, right? If I hit those three things, that triggers burnout of some sort in me and triggers me saying, I need to go. Yeah. And that, that's kind of been my, I wish I had that framework 10, 15, 20 years ago as I was going yeah. through my career. I literally just kind of used that phrase a couple of weeks ago for the first time. But at, upon reflection, I have felt like that's been the, been the case pretty well articulated i don't think i've heard it that way and i was that's as usual that's good that's genius stuff scott so bob we, we're getting sort of towards the end uh we have our one last question uh but we're going to quickly thank our sponsors of salesforce sales cloud uh gong oops no, gong's not a sponsor but congratulations gong you got a free one so uh, richard let, I'll, let me help you out richard thanks, our sponsors man. in september our wonderful sponsors have been Salesforce, Sales Cloud, Outreach.io, Reggie.io, and Vidyard. Thank wonderful you. sponsors, great partners. We've had other sponsors in the past that Richard is remembering, but a little bit different setup right now. How can we be helpful to you, Bob? Is there any questions that you want to ask us? Is there anything that we can do for you? This is how we like to end every show. Just keep doing what you're doing. Uh, we... we um... You know, Richard, we've we've had a number of stuff that we've worked on together, and you've been a really great person to you know you're really helping us keep the ball moving forward in our business. So we really appreciate that. Um, Scott, we haven't worked, you know, we've done a couple little things here and there together, but maybe there's opportunity to work a bit closer in the future and you know, for what whatever that might be. Yeah, I'd be happy to. I, I, you gotta get Richard to, you know, let me out of the basement though keeps me locked up down there and steals all the good jobs tell me what's going on with surf and sales i know we had our ashley from our team attend yeah. a few years ago what's um what are your plans well we snuck one in in 2020 believe it or not um at the end of february right before all hell broke loose oh yeah so we had a couple more planned that we had to scrap of course and then uh a few months back we decided to kind of just go for it and and book a couple events in November. So yeah. we were we've been fortunate to sell out two events in November. We're kind of running them back back to back and uh, have some cool cool sponsors and really you know a really amazing like group of people that's coming. Probably our most like senior group and uh, really diverse group of people, which we're really proud of, proud of. And um, I think uh, March of 2022 will probably try to do another one or two. And yeah, as, as long as it's, you know, still fun and still safe. then I, I think, uh, I think there's, there's an appetite for it. Right. So. Yeah. yeah. And a week from today, we'll be in Virginia for our first live event, an executive retreat in, you know, almost two years. Nice. So yeah. 
That's great. Yeah, I think the, the other thing we evolved to is um, we've, we're have we working to evolve the, the whole concept of uh, providing value to sponsors back to what you were saying, right? Mm -hmm. So now we do live webinars that we call bonfire sessions and we oh, yeah. bring in thought leaders and sponsors to do have conversations around that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, we also do different things with newsletters and stuff like that. Because to your point, like they do want you know, they want the registration info. Like, they want stuff. They, they want, want stuff. So, um, so we, yeah. you know, we've, we've evolved that in the last year too, which was just sort of to your point on a fluke. And then, mm. you know, oh, someone wants mm. to pay us to do our podcast. Sure. Like, yeah. <laughs> like yeah, yeah, yeah. go. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's <laughs> so, great. But, uh, but thank you. And again, thanks for all the support you give to the community. Cause I know how much you put into it and, and the whole organization over there. So we really appreciate you guys. Well, thanks again. A lot of fun with you guys. Thanks, thanks Bob. Bob. All right. Take care.